Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Acts chapter 2. So this is what we're going to read and what's going to be our base verse. It's really the birth of the church. We're part of something that's just not an organization. It's a living organism. And uh, it was birthed in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit fell on the believers in the upper room. Peter stood up and he preached an incredible message. It was so incredible. The Bible says that 3,000 people got saved in one day. How amazing is that? 3,000 people. And so I want us to pick up on there. We're going to see what the early church looked like. This is kind of like a a snapshot, a, a, a picture of what it looked like. Beginning in verse 41, it says that those who accepted his message, that was Peter's message, who stood up and preached, it says they were baptized. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, we had our last uh, baptism Sunday where 108 people got baptized. Come on. Come on. Is anybody glad 108 people got baptized? We have another one coming up in just a couple months, so be looking out for that. It said, and about 3,000, we're celebrating 108. They were celebrating 3,000. How many believe we're going to get there one day? Five people. It says that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything. Somebody say everything. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it says, and the Lord added to their number what? Daily, those who were being saved. Want that picture? of the early church. I want that picture of the church in its beginning stages to be the base the base scripture, what's in our minds for this series. I want you to picture the early church as it started. As Peter preached, they started gathering. They started sharing. They started growing. And we see what God did with the church. And out of that, we believe that we're getting this series today called We Can't Stop. We're part of something that Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come on. It's not government funded. It's not a government program. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. Come on, anybody glad that you belong to the church and so out of that passage week one I I, want to share a message with you if you're writing down notes on your phone on a notebook wherever it is write down this title today I want to talk to you out of the subject we're it somebody say that with me we're it we're it it. look at your neighbor and tell them we're it come on tap three people around you and tell them we're it we're it we're it we're it today I, I want to talk to you from generosity. I want to talk to you about giving as we prepare for a heart for the house. And if this is your first time, like I said, we don't do this often, maybe twice a year that we talk about generosity, but we believe that we're generous because we have a generous God. Can I get an amen? Come on, anybody glad that we have a generous father in heaven who has given us his absolute best? Why don't we close our eyes, bow our head, and let's ask God to bless this time together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for what you're doing in this house. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in every life represented. Thank you for, God, all the multiple services today, God, across all campuses. And, God, I pray for this 1 p.m. service now. I pray that you would have your way in this place, God. Lift up the head of those who are discouraged, God. I pray that you would breathe life into those that are hopeless. Thank you that in you 
there is always hope, God. God, I pray that today, no matter what we may be talking about, it all points to you because you're a generous and a good God. Jesus, I pray that we may see you through generosity, God. God, because if we see you, we will never be the same again. God, you're so good that I believe that the Miami Hurricanes are going for the national championship. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, oh, come on, 1 p.m., all God's people say, can you give Jesus a big shout of praise today? Come on. Anybody like me, did anybody grow up or, or, or like, does anybody like baseball? Let me see, any, any baseball fans in here, baseball fans? A little bit more at the 9-11, not so much, but, but 1 p.m. likes baseball. I think baseball's losing fans, but are there any NBA fans in here? Basketball? Wow, not that much. Any football fans? A lot of football fans. Okay, cool. I grew up with baseball, and baseball was known as the America's pastime, right? America's sport, baseball. I grew up in Hialeah. Anybody from Hialeah in the house? Wow, we actually had some people from Hialeah. And uh, so I grew up in Hialeah playing baseball at a park called Mylander Park. And I was probably about seven, eight years old, and my parents put me to play baseball. And um, back, back then, I wasn't as athletic as I am today. Obviously, I know you can tell by my athletic body, all glory to him. But, um, but, but I, so, so I wasn't a starter. Anybody knows when you play a sport, there's starters, and then there are those who, who um, sit on the bench. Um, I, but I was, I, was, I was cheering my team on. I was an encourager in the team. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was the encourager of the team. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm sitting on the bench. And, and all year long, as the season was going by, I was about eight, nine years old, um, I would look at the team. And there was times where the game was, we, were, we, were lo- we, we weren't a great team. And there was times where, where the team was in trouble. And we were down two, three runs. And, and I would start imagining myself going up to the plate. And and grabbing my bat, and uh, and now up to the plate comes Alex, cigar, 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 and everybody. <laughs> and uh, you know, any, anybody, have you ever played a movie in your head about something? You know what I'm saying? Like you know, like most singles. So he told me he's played a movie when he goes up to a girl and she says yes, and they get married on the spot. Like there's movies that we all invent in our head, right? And so I imagine myself going up to to the plate, but the coach would never call on me. I remember one day we were down about four or five runs and uh, the game was was over and maybe he just called on me out of pity but he said um Sagat Sagat you're up Alex Sagat you're up and it, you ever you ever hear something and you feel like it's too good to be true that's how sad my season was right so so I hear my name and it's like almost I don't even want to turn my head I'm like he, he can't be calling me not me obviously he's not calling me I'm not great and um we're down and and again he goes Sagat Alex Sagat, you're up. Go up, go up to bat. And I'm, I'm looking like down the bench, like where's Alex Sagat? Like, because I know he can't be calling me, and uh, he was. Uh, you know, I didn't even want to look at the coach. I was like, I can't believe he's calling my name. And I'm not going to tell you what happened. Let's just say we lost, but whatever. But <laughs> I feel like, like a lot of us, church, a lot of us sometimes we're looking to our neighbor and wondering if God can do something with them when God is calling our name. Today I want to talk to you that God is looking for a church and God is looking for a people that stop looking over their shoulder but realize that when there's a need, God can use anybody. Because God is not looking for people that are able, God is looking for people that are available. I wonder if there's anybody available at 1 p.m. today to say, God, you can use my life. You can use my time. You can use my resources. We're it. 
It's so easy to look like at a city like Miami and say it's so lost. There's so much need. There's so much to do in a city like this. I wonder what God can do. I wonder if God will use somebody. And many times the person that God is looking at is ourselves. And I think it's hard for us to believe, God, you, you can use me with, with my failures. God, you can use me with my mistakes. God, you can, you can use me with my shortcomings. I'm here to tell you this afternoon that, yes, God can use you in spite of you. God can use you in spite of your sin. God can use you in spite of your problems. God can use you in spite of your little knowledge. God can use you. Come on. God is looking for people that are available. Can I get an Amen. So I started thinking about this in the church, and we're the ones that God has called. It It brought a question to my mind that what will it take to see a move of God in Miami? I want to present that question to you this afternoon. What is it going to take to see a move of God out of Miami? If you've done a little bit of church history, if you've read a little bit about the church and what God has done through the church, if you look at it, just America, you see it, amazing revivals that have happened through Wesley and Whitfield and amazing stuff where these preachers started coming to America. And they will stand in boxes in the middle of places and thousands of people started getting saved and America went through incredible great awakenings. And I started thinking, my God, can he do it again today? Now, I wonder how many of us look at the past and say, well, that was, that was what, what once happened. But I'm going to tell you that God is a God who's still working today. He's still saving. He's still healing. He's still delivering. Come on, anybody believing that God can do something today? That we don't say, God, what if you could do something in Miami? But we actually start thinking, what's it going to take for God to do something in Miami? That's the question I started asking myself. What's it going to take for, to see thousands of people saved, to see thousands of people baptized, to see thousands of marriages restored, to see thousands of broken hearts repaired, to see a whole bunch of homes come back together and restored? What's it going to take? And I really believe that it's going to take two things, and you can write this down. I really believe that, number one, it's going to take the power of God. We can't do it without God. Can I get an Amen. Like, we, this is something that we can't do by ourselves. If we want God to move in our lives, if we want God to move in our families, if we want God to move in our cities, we need God. We need the Spirit of God. We learned about the Holy Spirit a couple months ago. We, need, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. We need his power. We need his grace. We need his presence. I want you to know that when we come in here into service, way before you get here, there's a whole bunch of us that get here at 8 a.m. And we pray for every service. We say, God, breathe in every service. God, open up eyes. God, heal lives. God, set people free. God, reach people. Come on. How many know we need God in this place? We don't just gather to sing a few songs and hear a word and go home. We, we want to see God move. So we need God's power. I really believe that we need God's power nowadays in the city of Miami. And maybe you're in here today and you're saying, Alex, I need God's power in my life. I really believe he's available to move in your life today. But the second thing, if you want to see a, a powerful move of God in the city of Miami, I really believe that the second thing that we need to do is we need to bring our sacrifice. Right? It's going to take some work. It got mighty quiet right now at 1 p.m. <laughs> it's going to take our sacrifice. Right? A lot of times we just wait on God. God, we're praying for you to do something for Miami. Oh, God, if you would just send somebody to Miami. God, this city is getting crazier by the day. In fact, I think I'm moving to Naples. God, this thing is crazy. Would you send somebody? And what about if God is saying, yeah, I need you to sacrifice your time. I need you to sacrifice your resources. I need you to stand up to the plate. Come on, the time is now. Tell somebody, we're it. We're it. Come on, look at somebody and tell them we're it. It's not just that we're waiting on God. Many times he's waiting on us. 
So as a church, this is what we're going to do. And I want you to write this down. We are going to worship like it all depends on God. And we're going to work like it's all up to us. As a church, we're always going to gather together, whether in this church, in this auditorium, or whether through connect groups. We're going to worship like it's all up to God, but we're also going to work like it's all up to us. If we want to see a move of God in Miami, let's depend on him, but also depend on us. Say, we need to work. I thank God that 81 leaders have stood up to open up connect groups all throughout our city. Come on. That's an amazing people who said, hey, I'm stepping up to the plate. So we're going to worship like it depends on God, but work like it depends on us. God wants to move through us. And it got me thinking as well, like, come on, what, what if God wants to use us? Right? What, what if? What, like, like, I started thinking about this. I don't want to get to my dying day. I don't want to get to my grave one day and wonder what God could have done with my life. Right? I, I don't want to be in my, in my dying bed one day, in my deathbed, and, and look back and say, man, I wonder what God wanted to do. Young people, all these young people that are here, I love you, and I love what God is doing on Friday nights, but there, there's no time to waste in the city that we're living in. Don't wait till you're 25, 35, 45, 55. Don't wait till you're 80 years old to say, what, what could have God done with my life? God can use you right here, right now, in spite of your age, in spite of what you may be going through. And then I don't want to be the lead pastor of a church that all we do is just gather for years and 20 years, 30 years down the road. We think, what could have God done through Calvary? I was reading a book when I was 16. My youth pastor gave me this book that was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, an amazing book. It's by Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, an incredible church. And he writes about prayer and how much they needed it when they first started. And he says this one line in the book. I love what Pastor Jim Simbola says. He says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mighty on our behalf. He goes, I despair. I read that line and it, it did something in my heart. It did something in my spirit. He goes, I despaired of the thought that my life might slip by. All these years would go by and God didn't do what he wanted to do through my life because I wasn't, I wasn't available. Because I wasn't aware. I was wasting time. I was busy doing a whole bunch of things. And, and I never did what God wanted me to do. That line shook me. It says, what does God want to do through our lives? What does God want to do through our church? And I said, you know what? This is the church that God is looking for. A church that is available. A church that says we can't stop preaching. We can't stop giving. We can't stop telling people about Jesus. We can't stop serving. Come on, because the time is now. And God wants to do it through the church. I've realized this over the last few years, I grew, I was born and raised in the church. I say, I tell you that all the time. I was born and raised in the church, been in the church my whole life. At times I was sick and tired of the church. I wanted to leave the church. But over the last few years, I realized the importance of the church. And I've realized and I've seen with my own eyes that a strong church represents a strong help in a city. A lot of times people will criticize the church. Ah, the church this and the church that and I don't like the church. People, people, people talk about the church. Yeah, with that face too, <laughs> right? And they talk about the church. But, but, you know, when I got here on staff, when they hired me here full time and I came on staff before I was lead pastor, right, before I was even a pastor, I was helping out in this program that we have here at the church. We still do this called the Benevolence Program. The Benevolence Program, really what it is, is, is that we help out people in need in our church. And that's when my eyes started to open up that the stronger the church is, the more we can help people. 
All these, you know, for example, a single mom would come and she would say, hey, listen, I just lost my job. My husband's not giving me child support. I I'm in trouble. I can't pay the rent. I have no food. And, and we would go over to Publix and we'll buy a whole bunch of groceries and we'll go to her house and we'll stuff her refrigerator with food for like a month and a half. Like, you don't got to worry. The church got you. The, the church is here by your side. Somebody else will come in and say, hey, we both lost our jobs. We're applying everywhere. And we're trying to do everything we can. We say, hey, we'll, we'll help you finish paying the rent. Hey, we'll help you finish paying the light. Hey, well, this is what the, a strong church represents a strong help in the city. And I realized that the bigger and stronger we got, the more people we were able to help out. A lot of times people will criticize the church, but they don't see the good that a church does in a community. They don't see the, the marriages restored one after another after another. They don't see drug addicts freed through the church. They don't see young people freed through the church. Come on. Is anybody glad that God uses the church? Oh, come on. If it was your son that was strung out on heroin, you would give God a little bit more praise if he used the church to help your son. If it was your marriage that was in trouble, you would give God a little bit more praise if it was the church that got you. Come on. Is anybody thankful for the church? I thank God for the church. I thank God that my parents were born and raised and served in a church. And this is how they led for us to see Jesus. I could have been a product of a broken home. I, I could have ended up on drugs. I could have ended up on gangs. But God in his great mercy showed me through the church the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is, is such a powerful thing. I want you to write this down, church. We are a church not in the city. We are a church for the city. We're a church... Not in the city, we're a church for the city. We just don't exist to take up space in Miami. We're just, Calvary is not just a church with an auditorium in Kendall and an auditorium in the city and more to come. We're not just here just to take up space. We're a church for the city. We're not just in Miami. We're for Miami. We're going to help Miami. We're going to pray for Miami. We're going to get, come on, is anybody glad that you're part of a church that's for it? What good is it if we just gather together on Sundays, sing a few songs, and then just go home? I want to be part of a church that makes an impact, an influence that can help people out in our city, that will help drug addicts, that will help people that are lost, confused, hopeless. Give them hope. Show them Jesus. Pick them up. Put them in homes. Come on. Anybody glad to be part of the church? I think 1 p.m. is asleep. Come on. Anybody glad that you're part of a living organism that Jesus designed to help open eyes? Come on. We're set free that we can help people. Rescued people rescue people. And we're a part of this journey. I don't want to live 20, 30 years and be part of a church that all we did was gather every Sunday and look at each other's face and say, hey, you're getting older. It's been 10 years. But we make a difference in our city. And we help people in our city. In Acts chapter 2, what we just read, I love it. This is, this is the beginning stages of the church. Like right when it was born, Jesus says, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit falls on you. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls in power and it fills them all with the Holy Spirit. And right there, Peter stands up. He gives a powerful message to a multitude. And right there, 3,000 people get saved and added to the number and the church begins. Isn't it awesome? We're part of something that began over 2,000 years ago. Peter preaches. All these people get saved and Right away, we see how they all came together. And it says they, taught, they started taking care of one another. It said that they met daily. It says through homes and through the temples. In other words, connect groups are in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> right? Why, Alex, why do you tell us so much about connect groups? Because it's in the Bible. Well, I don't want to join a connect group. Well, you don't want to do what the Bible says. That's okay. How many know that a church is not just these four walls. It's relationships between one another. This is what the church is. 
It's in a connect group where you're going to find somebody to pray for you. It's in a connect group where you're going to find somebody to help your marriage. It's in a connect group where you're going to have leaders that care for you and take care. In fact, through our benevolence program, a lot of people that we help is people who are in a connect group that tell their leader, hey, I need help. Otherwise, we wouldn't know. I thank God for connect groups. That's why I'm telling you after service today, you need to get in a connect group. You need to find a circle to be a part of, not just a row to sin in. It's where rows become circles. And the church became a circle in Acts chapter 2. And they started meeting. They started gathering. The Bible says that they, they shared everything in common, meaning, hey, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And they took care of one another. Hey, you need $5 for, to pay more. You need, you need a little bit more gas here. I got you. Hey, hey, your house, you don't got a lot of groceries. I got you. Hey, and the church started sharing one another. In fact, it says that some of them sold property so that the church can gather together. They were dedicated. They knew that this was God's plan. I wonder if we have that same conviction. They said, hey, this is God's plan for the earth, that Jesus, the hope of glory, lives in us. So now the hope of glory goes through the church. That's why the church is the hope of the world. And so we see the early church started giving, growing, and going. So as they started giving, they were all a part of this together. They gave up what they had. They started growing in number, and then they started going outside of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Somebody say that with me. Giving, growing, going. Say that with me. Giving, growing. Come on, say it louder. Giving, growing, going. This is what we're going to talk about as a church. Giving, growing, going over the next few weeks. We're going to be a church that gives. Today I want to talk to you about generosity for the next few minutes, and then we'll wrap it up in worship. But I want you to know that about giving, a lot of people say, oh, don't talk to me about giving, but giving reveals your heart. If we really, really believe that God has taken all of our lives, it includes our wallet. Can I get an amen? amen. Well, God saved me, but he didn't save my wallet. <laughs> Why? Because your wallet reveals where your heart is. The first thing that we need to know as a church is this. Write this down. We can't pray for what we're not willing to pay for. We can't pray for what we're not willing to pay for. A lot of us say, Alex, I, I, want a, I want an amazing marriage. But you don't want to pay for a nice dinner date with your wife. Can I get an amen? All the ladies, can I say yeah? <laughs> Some of you are helping your husband right now. When's the last time you took me out? Mm-hmm. I ain't talking about McDonald's either. Ah, but I've been married to this girl for 20 years. It don't matter. Date your wife. You can't ask for a good marriage and not be willing to put work in. Alex, I wish I had a better relationship with my kids. I wish we all talked a little bit more. Well, how about when you go out to dinner, all of you aren't on Instagram taking selfies. How about you put your phone down and put in some work and talk to one another and build relationships? Come on, you can't pray for what you're not willing to pay for. Right? Alex, I, I wish I lost some weight. I wish I was in shape. Well, you can't pray for it. If all you keep eating is donuts and you don't want to get on a treadmill, you can't pray for what you're not willing to. Come on, we're all in the same struggle. <laughs> Alex, I'm single. I wish I found a girl, man. There's no way. I'm just single. Well, if you actually took a shower throughout the week and you put on some cologne, got a haircut, come on. You can't pray for what you're not willing to. Hello? Alex, I wish I lived a life of purity. I want to be pure until the day I get married. Well, if you stop sleeping around and talking to coworkers, come on. You can't pray for what you're not willing to. A lot of us are praying for things that we don't want to put the hard work in for. Hello, can I get an amen? amen. Come on, how many times did we do? You, you know what it's going to take? Somebody say this with me, sacrifice. sacrifice. When we want something, we sacrifice for it. Right? Well, we want a church with multiple campuses, but we don't want to give toward multiple campuses. Right? It's going to take some sacrifice. I remember when, 
when I first met my wife, who, by the way, I met in church. So, you know, I love the church. A few of us in here, we met our wives in church. Hera Navid met in church. That's where they met. Mike and Stephanie met in church. Phil and Daniela met in church. John and Andrea met in church. Wow. All I'm saying, if you're single, stick around a little bit longer in the church and it works. When I first started dating Diana, you know, I wanted to marry her. I said, Jesus is coming soon. I got to hurry up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Brother been waiting a long time. And so, you know what it took? It took some sacrifice. I can't just pray for something. I got to be willing to pay for something. And I said, I don't even know how I'm going to buy an engagement ring. I was broke. I'm 23 years old. I'm working a job and all my money is going to bills and I'm trying to create a savings account young and trying to build a future. And I said, how do I build a, how do I buy a ring and build a savings account at the same time? I'm going crazy, but I had to put in some work. I remember I was almost done paying the ring, and the last thing I had was like zero dollars. And I, I looked at a little bracelet that I used to have and a little necklace, and I said, well, I got to get rid of this. And I sold it because I wanted to marry this girl. And now, and now look at her. Come on. <laughs> but we can't pray for something if we're not willing to pay for something. It's going to take some sacrifice. In Esther, in the book of Esther, in the Bible, the people of God need an intervention. They just don't pray for God to move. Esther says, I'm going to go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Are we willing to risk it all like that? To say, hey, if I want God to move, I I'm willing to lay it all down. Some of us today, what we forget is that we're actually eating the fruit of somebody else's sowing. Some of us weren't here. I wasn't here when this building went up. We're enjoying today the comforts of a generation that went before us that decided to pay. They didn't just pray. They paid and they made a way for us to have an auditorium today, for us to have AC today, for us to have chairs today, for us to have the band that we do, for us to have Calvary music. Come on, let's honor the past. I thank God for the past. I thank God for old pastors. I thank God for old leaders. I thank God for people who saw the future and they invested in it. Come on, can we thank God for those that went before us and say thank you that you made a way. Thank you that you believe in the church. I don't take it lightly that I'm, I'm standing on a platform that somebody else built. I didn't build this myself. When I got to this church seven years ago, it was already made. There was an empty field here and a generation before us believed in generations to come. They were thinking about you and I today. And they made a way. I wonder if we make a way for the next generation. And it's through our giving. It's through our giving, saying, you know what, God, I believe that you want to move in the city, but it's also going to take my part and my sacrifice. Can't pray for what we're not willing to pay for. A lot of times when tragedy happens around the world, you'll see hashtags all over social media. Pray for this and pray for that. And Don't get me wrong, I believe in prayer. In fact, that's the first thing we need to do. Prayers are not our last resort. Prayer is our first response. Right? We pray. I'm praying. I pray when it happened in Orlando. I pray when it happened all over the world. We need prayer. Number one, we need God. But I believe that it's not just prayer. I believe there should be some action behind that. We didn't just pray for the, for the victims in Houston as a church because of your generosity. In fact, we didn't even ask. Because of your generosity every week, we have a fund already set apart. We send a, 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 um, we send a, um, a relief effort to Houston. Why? Because we believe in not just prayer but in doing. When it hit Cuba, we didn't just sit back and pray for Cuba. There also should be action behind it. We send the relief effort to Cuba. We send the relief effort to Puerto Rico. Because it's not just praying. It's doing. The second thing about generosity is that we don't give from requirement, but we give from response. 
as we're talking about giving, as we're preparing for heart for the house. More than that, I want to talk to you about weekly giving because some of us, instead of thinking about heart for the house, what we need to start thinking about is starting to give weekly through tithes and offerings. And maybe you say, well, I don't know what that is. It's just an act of response to God. I want you to know that we're not required to give. I'm not requiring anybody to give. That's why we hardly talk about it. This is not a requirement. In fact, the Bible says that if you give under compulsion, God says, don't do that. Don't give because somebody's forcing you to give. Don't do that. God doesn't want that. God says that he, he likes a cheerful giver. Not that somebody's forcing you, right? But out of the generosity of your heart, you say, God, because you've blessed me, it's a response. When you think about everything that God has done for him, when you think about that the Savior of the world came and laid down his life for humanity, he laid down on the cross on the very tree that he created. He laid down himself for your sins and my sins. Come on, how can I not respond in worship? How can I not give him my life? How can I not give him my... Come on, God has been good. It's not a requirement. It's a response. Well, where do you get that from? In the Old Testament, the Bible says that Abraham, a man of faith, God gave him victory over the enemies, and he got so much stuff after the enemies were defeated, he grabbed all their riches, and he kept them, and he said, God, because you've given me all this, I give you a tenth, and that's where the tithe comes from. And he gave a tenth to God in worship. Then the Mosaic law came afterwards, which was, out of everything that you get, give 10% to God. Right? And some of you are like, oh, I don't like that 10%, because they don't talk about that in the New Testament. Okay, if you want to stick to the New Testament, the New Testament, instead of 10%, is actually 100%. It's radical giving. Some of you are like, all right, let's go back to the Old Testament, 10%, 10%. (laughs) In the New Testament, they gave it all. For us, 10% is not a requirement. That's just the basis of our response to God. Some of us give at 11, at 12% every week. Heart for the house is over and above our tithes and offerings. Every week, some of us today, we need to start giving. Maybe today, the reason your financial life is out of order is because you haven't put God first in your financial life. I'd rather trust God with 90% of my money than keep 100% in my hands and trust in myself. Right? It's biblical. It's a spiritual principle. Sometimes there's not even no understanding. I've seen people blessed because they put God in their first in their first in their life. Because it's biblical. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 says this: honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor God first. Me and Diana, every single time we get paid, the first thing we do is we separate our tithes and offerings. Every single time a check comes in, we separate our tithes and offerings. Why? Because we realize that it's not of our own hands that it's coming. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we can do hard work. It's because God has blessed us with every single breath in our lungs. Come on, with oxygen in our life. Everything in my hand goes back to him. Some of us today, well, Alex, I can't give right now. I mean, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. When God gives me a lot of money, then I'll start giving my tithes and offerings. I tell you the truth that if you don't give with a little, you're never going to give with a whole lot. If it's hard to give with a little, it's going to be way harder to let go when God gives you more. Well, okay, when fine. Then if I give, then God will bless me. No. I want you to know that in this church, we don't teach prosperity. I'm not telling you that if you give $100, you'll be blessed with $10,000. If you give $10,000, God's going to give you $100,000. We don't teach prosperity here. We don't give for a blessing, we give from a blessing. If God doesn't do anything else in our life again, he's already blessed us with grace. He's already blessed us with mercy. He's already blessed us with forgiveness. Come on, he's done more than enough. And even still, he rewards and he blesses. It might not be financially, it might be with peace, with love, with family, with joy. He's an awesome God. 
But I want you to know we don't, we don't teach poverty either. We don't teach prosperity, but we don't teach poverty. I'm not saying you have to live this poor life and give 100% of your money away. No, you can take nice vacations. You can enjoy nice clothes. You can go out with your family. Because God's not looking for people that are, that are drains, are going to keep all the money to themselves. He's looking for people to bless so that they can be a blessing to somebody else. So God can bless you. God can open up the windows of heaven and give you more to fill your barns and all that. But it's only to become a blessing for somebody else. So maybe today, before we even get to heart for the house, every week what you need to start doing is grabbing those home envelopes and saying, God, today I start with my tithes and my offerings. Today I'm going to give you what belongs to you already because you've been a good God. If we believe that we are the church, if we believe that God does want to use the church to be the hope of the world, then it's going to take some money behind it. And we never come up here and tell you, can you give today? We're in trouble. The lights are, they might go off in the middle of the service. We haven't paid them. No, because we're, we're, thank God we're financially responsible and we're taking care of our dues. But I, it just makes sense to me when I walked in here and I saw lights, I saw speakers. When I was eight years old, I was in a church in Hialeah, the Good Shepherd in Hialeah. And I was sitting in the fifth, sixth row. I still remember to this day, sitting next to my parents. I heard the gospel. And because I heard the gospel, I told my mom, I want Jesus in my life. I need forgiveness of my sins. At eight years old, I realized it. And all of a sudden, my eyes just started to open up and I realized that Thank God somebody paid for that microphone to work. Thank God somebody paid for these speakers to be in church. Thank God that somebody paid for the screens to work. Thank God that God has provided people to financially support the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is going throughout the world. People are getting saved every single day. But it's going to take, it's going to take some financial resources. So maybe today for you it's not about heart for the house. Maybe today you need to start tithings and offerings. That's why we provide envelopes. That's why we have boxes outside and all throughout the lobby. Maybe today you say, God, I need to put you first in my finances. And as we saw in Proverbs 3, every single time you put God first, you'll never come in second place. Honor God with your life, with your family, with your tithes, with your offerings, with everything. And God will bless it. Last but not least, number three, if we can write this down. Number three is this. We can do something alone, but we can do a great thing together. We can do something alone. I'm telling you right now that... I can, I, me, and my, me and my wife, me and Anna, we can, we can gather together and we can make a couple sandwiches to go feed the homeless. But what I love is when 300 leaders show up and we all make meals and all of a sudden we go out with 300 meals to feed the homeless with Lulu who sets up an incredible team because we're better together. You know what we do as a church? Maybe you have no idea, but Mo along with George who was here at the eleven. Every single week, they're inside juvenile detention centers preaching the gospel to young people. Most of them come from fatherless homes. I couldn't do that by myself. You couldn't do that by yourself. But every single week, we have teams that are going into the prisons and preaching. We have a women's jail ministry that is going into jail preaching because together, we're better. Can I get an amen? You know what we have as a church? We have a ministry called Embrace where a whole bunch of people that are committing the craziest evil that you can think of. It's horrible. They're enslaving people into sex trafficking. And we have a ministry in this church, it is our ministry, where, where we don't even call them victims anymore. We call them survivors that have been rescued from human trafficking. And we provide shelter for them, we provide food for them, we provide clothing for them. Come on, this is the church of Jesus Christ that's standing up on the front line. Alone, we couldn't do that, but together we could do so much. 
Can I tell you that the government is coming to us before other agencies to help them against human trafficking? Oh, I know you may not praise God, but, but if some of us have family members that have been trafficked, we will be praising God right now. We will be shouting. We'll be, come on, this is a church. We think about young people, we think about human trafficking, but what about the elderly that are in homes that nobody goes to visit? You know, we have a nursing home outreach ministry that goes to the nursing home, sing praises to the elderly people. They love on them, they care on them. Come on, it's a church of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm a part of. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the church of Jesus. Alone we can do something, but together we can do a great thing. I wonder if all of us started putting our little bit in. Imagine what God can do. Because of these cameras, and we have, I mean, just low budget cameras. These aren't even nice cameras. That's something we want to do next year. But because of these cameras, there's people watching us in Afghanistan right now, soldiers that are going over there. They gather together around the computer and they watch our services and they've been saying, oh, come on, I'm telling you, we're going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Alone we can do something, but together we can do a great thing. I want to be part of something great. I don't want to be a part of something by myself. By myself I can do a little bit, but together as a church we can do a big, great thing. That the government's looking to the church now. There was an article in the Washington Times that came out about a month and a half ago that said that the church has responded faster than the government in helping hurricane victims. This is what I'm talking about. Christians be FEMA, and in doing so, tame big God. Oh, come on, because this is the church of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm a part of. That's what I give to. We won't stop. We can't stop. This is the beginning. We're in. We're not waiting on the White House. We got Jesus on the throne. Come on, if you believe it, can you lift up your hand? And can you give Jesus a big shout of praise? Come on. All I grateful that we're part of the body of Jesus Christ I thank God that week in and week out on Friday nights there's a bunch of young people coming here some of them have left gangs some of them have left drugs some of them have left a crazy lifestyle they decided to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior come on I'm believing for future generations of pastors, future generations of church planners, future generations of world leaders. 
I thank God for forever ministry that's here to build up marriages and believe that God can restore, that God can heal, that God can do. It's the greatest thing to ever be a part of. And maybe you're like, Alex, well, it looks like you guys have it all together. You know that out of 2,000 people here on a weekend, that's average what we have. Across America, they say that the average amount of people that give on a weekly is about 20% right, to a church, and that's about where we're at. 18 to 20% of the people give weekly here with their tithes and offerings. And it just got me thinking, imagine how much more we could do if we, if we bumped it up to 25 and 30, 30% of us started to give, 40% started. Imagine if we hit 50%, come on, can we be that church? Just believe that today, God, God is aligning our hearts to his word and saying you're a part of a living organism. More than an organization, more, it, it's, it is global. It's not just Calvary, it's a global church. And it's helping out so many around the world. I can tell you story after story after story of what God is doing throughout the church. Look at church history. A lot of the great organizations that you see around the world helping today came out of the church. The Salvation Army was a husband and a wife, William Booth and his wife, who decided to serve Jesus, and they started the Salvation Army, which today helps millions around the world. You look at the YMCA, you look at the Red Cross, you look at orphanages and where they came from, you look at hospitals and where they started, you look at universities because the church was first in line in education, first in line in healthcare, first in line across the world in everything. We always responded. And I'm just thinking, if that's what we've done in the past, how much more can we do in the future? I don't want to give my life to anything else in this world than the church of Jesus Christ. With every eye closed and every head bowed. Before we leave this place, I know today was a message on generosity. And, and maybe you're in here for the first or second time and you say, Alex, I don't know Jesus. This, this might have been a little bit weird to you. I know today was more of a family matters issue. But, but maybe you're in here and you're lost. And you, you don't have a relationship with this God that we're talking about. Well, I want you to know that this is why we exist, so that people that are far from God will come close to him. In fact, it's our mission, bringing people to life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, this is why we talked about what we talked about, because we realize there's a lot of people without God in our city. There's a lot of people without God in our country. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today you don't have no peace. Maybe today you're, you have no hope. You walked in hopeless. Maybe today you walked in lost, confused. Maybe you... You're going through the worst time of your life. I want to tell you there's a God who loves you. There's a God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. He loves you more than you could imagine. With every eye closed and every head bowed across this place, we're about to leave in just a moment, but I, would, I wouldn't want to close this service without giving you an opportunity to come into a relationship with the God who created you. While the church is praying, come on, while leaders are praying, while team members are praying, if you're in here today, you say, Alex, I'm lost, I'm hopeless, I've done wrong things, I've messed up in life, I feel like I can never get it together. I want to tell you that we're all in it with you. We've all were lost. We all had zero hope. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Nobody's perfect. And our sin separates us from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. God gave his only son. He's a generous God. Jesus came and he grabbed all of my sin, your sin, all of our flaws, all of our mistakes. And the Bible says that Jesus went up on a cross and he died for the sins of humanity. You and I couldn't pay for our sins. There's nothing we could do about our sins. But Jesus came and he said, I'll take care of them for you. The Bible says he died on that cross for the sins of the world. Then he went down into a grave and he was dead for three days. 
and when it looked like the enemy had won and when it looked like humanity had no hope after three days he defeated the greatest enemy which is death sin and death he took it down and Jesus resurrected Jesus is alive he's the hope you've been looking for he's the peace that you're in search of and today's the day for you to come into a relationship with God don't wait for tomorrow the Bible says tomorrow's promise to no man this is the day of salvation with every eye closed every head bowed for privacy and concentration while the church is praying if you're in here you say Alex I need Jesus I need forgiveness of my sins today I want to get my life together I'm going to count to three in just a moment I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to hand you the mic. All I'm going to do is acknowledge you more than anything. God is going to acknowledge with a physical action. He's going to acknowledge what's happening in your heart. You're saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Today, I need you to come into my life, and I want a relationship with the God who created me. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you at the count of three, you raise your hand. Hold it up for just a second. I'm going to see you, and then you can put it right back down. One, two, three. All across this place. Raise it up as high as you can, as high as you can. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. God bless 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 you. Awesome. God bless you. Amazing. Anybody else? You raise your hand. Father, we thank you for all these hands that were raised across the auditorium. I pray that you seal it with your Holy Spirit right now. God, we thank you that you are a good God. All across this place, if you raise your hand, I'm going to say a simple prayer. I want you to repeat it after me. It's not the prayer that saves. It's faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. In fact, the whole church, let's repeat this out loud with all we got. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and on the third day, you rose again. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. From today on, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel or visit us at calvaryconnect.com for more information. Till next time.